All right, you ready to do this thing? I am. All right, let's get started. Oh, shoot. Okay, now we'll really get started. <laughs> Perfect start. <laughs> Destroying everything. Hello, Mike. Hey, Gray. How are you feeling? I am jet lagged. I am tired. So I apologize to the listeners if I'm a little bit off my game today. But I have recently flown from London to the United States to visit some family. So I'm currently recording from a remote location in North Carolina using some duplicate equipment that I had stashed here. But yes, I have just recently changed many time zones and I'm feeling a bit lightheaded and off in the way that I always do whenever I change time zones. So yes, that's why I feel the need to apologize to listeners straight out of the gate. This morning I booked some travel. Um, I booked some flights for a conference that I'm going to in October. And I'm going to be there for four days. And I looked at the kind of the times that I'm flying in, the times that I'm coming home, and realizing how horrible it's going to be. Where is this conference? Uh, Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Okay. So the flight going there isn't too bad. Um, I just have to stay awake until the evening. I leave at like 10 a.m. here, and it's a 12-hour flight. And then I have to maybe do like another five or six hours awake. So I can live with that. But the flight coming home, like I arrive back in England at 6 a.m., and it's like, well, I now know that I will be useless for four days afterwards. <laughs> yes, I know those arriving early in London flights. And you just you just have to write off the next week. Yep. I'm going to be a crazy zombie when I come back. Indianapolis, I think, is in one of those funny middle time zones. I think it's not on the East Coast. It's Central or Mountain Time. Yeah, one of those. We'll go with that. Yeah. Those two time zones everyone just forgets about. Everyone who lives on the coast, that is. <laughs> But what makes this worse, though, well, maybe better, depending on how you look at it, I'm also going to be in Portland in September. So, like, I'm thinking about that. I'm like, right. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. like, late September, Portland. And I'm back for, like, maybe three weeks and then going back out to the States again. Like, I may as well just just shut down the business in August and just write <laughs> it all off. <laughs> yes. Just Relay will go off the air for two months, September and October. I won't know where I am. Jet lag is is so much worse now that I'm self-employed because I can mm-hmm. give in to it. <laughs> when I used to work a job, right, I would. it was like, well, okay, I know you've only slept for one hour, but it's 8 a.m. now, so you have to, to get up and go to work. But now it's like, oh, I'll just sleep until 4 p.m., like whatever. <laughs> you lazy bum. <laughs> There's no one stopping me. Like that was something that I had recently when I came back from the states and just like one day i just fell asleep at two in the afternoon mm-hmm. when, when i was intending to be working it's just a, a, a disaster we talked last time about how i always think that i'm going to do those tutorial videos for the vi- uh, video games that i play and when i take the flights back from london and i usually arrive early in the morning every time i think the same thing which is okay i've arrived in the morning i'm just going to stay awake because that's the most reasonable thing to do. Sure, I've been up all night you know, on, on an uncomfortable airplane. But, but if I can just stay up all day when I've arrived at 6 a.m., then I'll be right back into the swing of things tomorrow. And without fail, at some point during the day, I slip into unconsciousness <laughs> without even being aware of it. And then wake up in the middle of the night wide awake in london it just it never fails that i again always overestimate myself it's like oh this time i really will stay awake how how often have we ever done this brain oh never never is how often we've done this but this time it will be different this time we really will stay awake so yes i have always planned my going back around around jet lag but this 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 uh 
we will talk about it more, I think, next time. But this whole trip of mine is there are many more flights coming, which I'm not looking forward to. So this is just the beginning of many more flights and many more visits in America. So there, there will be much jet lag ahead. We'll talk about that. Yeah, ne- next week, we're going to talk a bit more about travel in general, I think. Yes. So we had, uh, we had some follow-up. It, it was a surprising amount of follow-up related to Let's Play and mm-hmm. video gaming. I think there was more follow-up about the Let's Play videos than there was about the email section, which was very surprising to me. Uh, and it, it just shows that sometimes you really cannot um, estimate what people want to hear or what they're interested in hearing about. It's, it's very interesting. This is the lesson I have learned from the internet is <laughs> I am terrible at guessing what the things people are going to be interested in are. When I put up a video, very often people are discussing some part that I thought was incidental, but for whatever, cap- captures people's attention. And when you have a big forum like on Reddit where you can see what people are discussing, I'm just always aware that that it is so often not whatever the ostensible main topic was it's something else that catches people's people's interest whether it's videos or whether it's it's podcasts and that's one of the reasons why i really do like to see the feedback to see what are people talking about and based on the last episode we should have some kind of let's play segment of the show every time because that is what (laughs) everybody wanted to talk about even though I, I could not have made it any more clear in that episode that I know basically nothing about Let's Plays. <laughs> Maybe if we ever do an experimental season of the show, uh, we could just, me and you could just do a Let's Play and just, because <laughs> it seems to be, and then in theory, we'd probably have like a million listeners because it just seems that all anybody's excited about. Yeah. Watch but out if for you're, We don't, yeah, we don't really have a lot uh to, of addressable follow-up but basically right. if because again we know nothing about this topic yep, literally nothing uh, but if you want to get some good video game suggestions you should go to mm-hmm. the, the thread for that episode mm-hmm. for that episode and i'll put it in the show notes again because there was lots of really interesting video games brought up uh that people should play and there's probably i would be surprised if there's not a couple of new things on your list to check out mm-hmm. yep there definitely are so there was uh, one really great comment, and the comment was much longer than the part that I'm going to read out, and it was from Danik Jericho. Danik was talking about about gaming and PewDiePie and the way that people are perceived, like celebrities and stuff like that. And they said, and I, I really liked this quote, and I saw that you liked it as well, uh, people in the public eye get paid the amounts that they do because we value what they produce. And you might take issue with the fact that society values a football coach more than a laureate, but the fact of the matter is there are more more football fans and science fans, so it kind of makes sense. And there are apparently more gaming fans, so PewDiePie gets to reap. And I just thought that was really interesting, because it is kind of just like, yeah, it is weird that the guy who, who screams about video games uh, makes millions of dollars a year, but it's where the audience is, and it's what people are interested in, so that's kind of where the money is. Yeah, it, it, it's a good point about the relative audience size, because yes, he's making millions of dollars a year, but there are hundreds of millions of intense video game fans worldwide i i feel like it's um i mean you you are you are much younger than me mike you, you know you you might not have this the same feeling but i am aware that i think the video game industry has has gone so much from becoming or from being a kid pastime to now being an acceptable part of mainstream culture. 
and it's it is a it is a powerful force to be reckoned with in the same way that the movie industry is is a huge business that uses up lots of people's time and it's just it's interesting i feel like to have seen that that change over my lifetime yeah that now people like my age who grew up playing nintendo or super nintendo it's like well we're now adults and we have money to spend and leisure time that we want to use and it's all contributing to this enormous video game economy and that's i still sometimes catch myself feeling like video games are a, a marginal part of the culture but they are long long past that now and that's that's partly why PewDiePie is an interesting intersection in that. It feels like, how can there be so many people watching him play video games? And it's like, oh, right. It's like asking, how can there be so many people who watch movies? Like, it's yep. just a huge part of the world now. But but I think that I can still sometimes underestimate that because it was it was not like that when I was a kid. There were no adults who played video games when I was a kid. No, I mean, it's interesting. Hollywood is a great comparison because, like, the base economics seem to match up. Like, there are the blockbusters, which everybody mm-hmm. plays, right? Like Call of mm-hmm. Duty, for example. Mm-hmm. There are, like, middle-of-the-road stuff that a bunch of people play, and then there's indie things that a very small fraction of the audience plays. And it's, you know, yeah, the, it's very they, they match with the movie industry really interestingly. Yeah, and I think they also match in the way that, unlike the world of literature, most games have to be multi-people projects. You, know, you can't make a movie with just one person and the the vast bulk of games except for the smallest of small indie projects like you have to have a team of people working on it so yes i think that they are interestingly comparable industries in a bunch of ways i totally get why people um get upset that it's like you know such and such person who's doing a really important thing trying to teach people or trying to help humanity doesn't really make any money but it's kind of just like well what what are you gonna what can you do? There just isn't the amount of people out there to give that scientist the money that PewDiePie gets because the audience just isn't there. So it's like for as long as the public perception and for as long as the large people in the world want to listen to what PewDiePie says that he deserves the money that's given to him. Yeah, and I used to be one of these guys as well. I remember a younger version of me would be really frustrated with situations like, Why does the football team get so much funding and the library doesn't? And I think as I've gotten older, I've I've become more accepting of those situations and realizing, oh, right, of course, that to a university or to a school, a football team is actually quite a valuable public relations asset. And it, it draws a lot of like, it's not how valuable you think it is. It's It's how valuable it is to the wider audience of people who have vastly different preferences than just you. And so it's like, yes, I like books and I like the library, but a school or a university isn't necessarily assigning funding based entirely on my preferences or entirely on the like the, the super long-term value of what a kid might read in a library and then what happens 50 years down the road. It's like the football team is an asset now in a in a very tangible, a very tangible way. So yeah, I, I I have relaxed about this, but I used to get wound up over the exact same kind of things. Why aren't scientists paid more? And why are celebrities paid enormous amounts of money? And I I think I said last time, we might want the situation where scientists who I think 
unarguably contribute more to the long-term value of society than people who make movies. You might want them to get paid more, but but wanting that is is a bit... It's almost like fight, fighting the laws of physics. I might want gravity to be stronger or weaker, but it doesn't. It doesn't matter. I can rail against that all day, and and nothing is, nothing is going to change that. If you are looking at market forces, it's it's very hard to move those things around. So I wanted to address some more email stuff with you today. We're doing this again. You are doing this again. I'm not finished. Great. You love it, really. I know you love it. I do not. Well, there is one thing that you seem to to love, which is receiving uh, email, because you <laughs> you <laughs> you instigated a new topic suggestions box, which I'll come back to in a moment. But for some reason, then received via email every single suggestion that anybody sent you. What happened, Gray? So let's back up for a moment here. We discussed last time how my email was not working very well for me, and. I made the point, which I, I I think for many of the things that I'm engaged in of, I don't believe in the notion of just trying harder if something isn't working. I believe very much in trying to change the system so that you get more of the results that, that you want. And so I was thinking about this because it, you know, we did that last episode because email had come to a kind of head as a problem for me. And I was thinking, okay, right, what can I, what can I do to try to systemically change some of this stuff? And so one of the things I thought was I get a lot of emails from people who are just ultimately they're suggesting topics to me. So I thought, okay, is there a way that I can pull this out of email into a different format that is maybe easier for people to use and also easier for me to receive? And so I thought, oh, okay, I played around a little bit and I realized I could use uh, Google has a, an option where you can set up forms that people can fill out. And then it adds the the information they have filled out into a a spreadsheet in Google Docs. So I thought, okay, great. I'll set this up on my website and I'll just trial it out. I'll just see how this goes. So on my website now, if you go to whatever it is, the topic suggestions page, there's a link somewhere on the site. There's a single line where it says, what would you like CGP Grey to make a video about? And just a little space for people to write something in and they can hit submit. And then that goes into this spreadsheet for me. And I was looking at the results as I was testing it out. I thought, oh, okay, this is actually way more useful to me because I can look at this much more quickly because people don't feel the need to wrap their topic suggestion in a lot of paragraphs of other stuff. Like I'm aware of emails that I get sometimes that are ultimately a topic suggestion. There's a little bit of a warm up, and then there's a little bit of a goodbye in that email. Whereas here now it's like, okay, great. You've just written two or three words about what you want the thing to be. So I can go through this much faster. I can look at it and it's much more comprehensible, much more quickly. And I'm also not changing modes. Like I mentioned last time with email It's like, I'm looking at this spreadsheet and I'm looking at topic suggestions. And this is the thing that I'm doing. I'm not receiving topic suggestions in between a whole bunch of other stuff. So all of this was fine and dandy. And I thought, oh, great. This is working just perfect. And I went away for a while and I came back a few hours later and discovered that I had not realized that while I was sitting there really chuffed with myself for how clever I was about the solution. <laughs> Look at me, everyone. I've life hacked. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't say that, Mike. I came back and I opened my email 
And I panicked for a moment because I opened my email and I saw the little unread badge zip up to something over a thousand messages. I thought, what? What the heck is this? What happened? I look at my email inbox and sure enough, I didn't realize that the default setting was not only to add the topic suggestion to the spreadsheet, but also to email me the topics. And so I had, yes, gotten over the course of a couple hours, a thousand emails dumped into my email inbox, all of which were just copies of what I had already been looking at in the spreadsheet and seeing how everything was was going. <laughs> it's just like, oh, this is exactly the opposite of what I wanted. Luckily, it was a relatively quick fix to take care of that, to tell the to tell the suggestion box, please stop emailing me, and also to clear all of those out in a in a systematic way because they were all very similar and it's easy to pull them pull them apart. But uh, yeah, it was it was an unwelcome surprise and. Not yeah, not not what I was expecting, and I was I was very much worried about my email inbox. Uh, <laughs> Your heart got a little weaker that day. <laughs> yeah, I thought, oh, making email better? No, you have made it worse, <laughs> <laughs> worse than you could ever imagine. <laughs> yes, but but overall, I am happy with this change I have instituted, and it is definitely an improvement so far. So this is this is a little piece of changing the system. Not simply telling myself, oh, I'll go through emails even faster and harder than I ever have before. So I like the way this is working right now. This, that spreadsheet's also a good thing you could give to someone and be like, remove things that are duplicates, remove things that I'm just never going to touch, and then tell me what's, in, what's good in here. Oh, yeah. There are many things that you can do with this. There are many things you can do with it when it's now data in a format and so I actually I was just looking through it to get a sense of what people were saying but you can also do something like oh let me just run a a word frequency analysis on this to get a sense of overall what are the things that are people talking about there there are just very many options for for this now in a way that you couldn't do that easily with email and alongside this you've also instituted a new contact CGP Grey page on your website which yes. has a little form on it, which is clearly another way for you to try and make some sort of change to email. Yes, exactly. So I have also set up a form that people can fill out, which is a real email form now. Someone can put in their name and they can put in their email address and write a little message. And this does not go to me. This goes to my personal assistant who is then filtering and dealing with these as they are coming in and we're figuring out now like how you know how does this work and and what exactly the rules are going to be but yes this is a way to take off some burden of contact from me and to try to have somebody else pull out actionable stuff and summarize it for me so this is this is relatively new and we're just trying this out but you seemed a little bit um insecure at the copy right You, you tweeted that you were a little bit not sure about this yeah, so here's the part where it's just almost impossible not to sound like a self-important douchebag where you're trying to do things that are conflicting. I am attempting in one way to make it easier for people to reach me because this is the alternative to your email has gone into an endless black hole that I will never look at. Right now... now so in this way, it's easier because, yes, an actual person will look at will look at your email. But at the same time, I'm trying to make something easier. It is also, there's no way to get around the fact that I'm setting up a barrier as well. 
Like, it's not going directly to me. It's going to another person who may then pass it on to me or may respond to you directly. And so, yes, trying to figure out how to write the copy on this page of being honest about what this is. No, you're not sending me an email directly. It's going to my assistant. But without sounding like, oh, I'm so important, I can't read your email. But please send me emails anyway, because it's just great. There's, I think there is simply no way to accomplish that task. Completely impossible. Because there's no, there's no, like, humble way to say, uh, you, I can't read your email, it has to go to an assistant first. Yes. There's just no way you can word that where it sounds like a normal human. Yeah, it, it, it is just impossible. It's just impossible. And so I tried to make it like a little bit funny and also just tried to make it as short as humanly possible because, yes, there's no good way to, to do this. Um, but, yeah, so it, it is up there. It's an option for people to send me emails. I have noticed something interesting so far about these, these two different forms, uh, which has changed already the way email has come in. Because for the moment, I'm monitoring these things and seeing, okay, how do each of them how are they used? You know, how is this going to work as, as a system? And people have definitely been using them. And way less email has come directly to me. But interestingly, the number of topic suggestions is enormous. It's way more contact than I ever got from people sending me contact suggestions directly. So I, I looked at this just yesterday, and there were thousands and thousands of topic mm-hmm. suggestions on that spreadsheet. And... Interestingly, the emails to me have vastly dropped down and way fewer people are using that contact form to send an email. So I'm just aware of this and thinking, huh, I wonder, I wonder what's happening. Is somebody thinking, oh, let me send an email and then they're coming up to that form and then deciding whatever they were going to send probably isn't going to make it through my personal assistant and just not bothering Instead of trying, like, instead of trying to guess what my email address is and contact me directly, like, they're just looking on the site and going, oh, there is a way. Oh, I'll just, I just won't do it. Like, it's, it, I, it's interesting and I don't know what is the reason for email through that form being quite low. And then the topic suggestions are just enormous. It's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting difference that I would not have predicted when I set this up. I think I would have. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, because with the topic suggestions, you're doing two things. You're you're pointing to it, right? So you're and you're you know mm-hmm. tweeting about it and stuff like that. You're pointing to the fact that you would like topic suggestions, and you're mm-hmm. also like changing a policy in which you are now willing to accept them. Because I think people that may be familiar with your work or listen to the stuff that you do know that like if they email you a topic suggestion, you'd probably not mm-hmm. see it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but now they're like, well you've opened the floodgates and you're requesting them. So you may, I may as well, uh, Joe Smith, send you that topic suggestion because now you're asking for them where you haven't before. So it's like when you make a change like that and then highlight it, I can see why people would send through more. And also the email thing makes sense to me as well because I would bet a lot of the email that you got was personal. Like people were addressing you personally. Uh, to mm, tell you yes, something about you, but now they know that it's not going to you. Uh, the, the a lot of the the personality in it, like the connection, will have gone. And I don't think mm. that necessarily people will see that and go, "Oh no, I hate Gray." But mm-hmm. just so more like, "Oh well, if it's going to go to somebody else, there's not. I'm not going to write it in the way that I would write it. So maybe I just won't write it." 
Hmm, that's interesting. I think you might be right. I think you might be right, Mike. And also, people that are like want to do business with you or whatever, or ask you to do something, now have a self qualifier of well, it has to pass a third party to think that this might actually be worth Gray's while. So let me think about this a little bit more. Now that you say it, it sounds possibly obvious, but yeah, I would not have predicted this in the in the beginning. This episode of Cortex is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile. If you ever type the same sentences, phrase, or even words on a regular basis, then you need Text Expander in your life. Text Expander saves you time and effort by expanding short abbreviations into frequently used text and even pictures. So what does that mean? For example, one of the things I type a billion times is my email address. And it's a relatively long email address. But anytime I need to enter it into a website or anywhere on my Mac, I just quickly type three letters and it expands out into the full email address. There are just so many things that you can use this for that if you type something slightly long repeatedly, you definitely want to use Text Expander. I use Text Expander to even just do fiddly stuff like make parentheses and brackets for links in Markdown. I have a couple of different signatures for my email where, again, I can just type a couple of letters depending on who I'm sending a message to, and it will automatically sign or put a footer on the bottom of my email address in exactly the way I want to. You can even use Text Expander to fill in information on websites that you type in over and over again. You can even have it jump from box to box and enter in exactly what you want it to do. Text Expander is one of those little utilities that is just a pure example of saving you time. You type less and the computer types for you more. Their new Text Expander 5 is out now, and you can find more about it by visiting smilesoftware.com slash cortex. There you can check out Text Expander 5 for the Mac and your iPhone and iPad. Thank you so much to Smile for their support of this show. So I have uh, some I have some more stuff around email. Some of it is uh, centered around things that I didn't get to talk to you about last week that I wanted to. And some is based on feedback that we received. One of the questions that we received a bunch uh, was people wanted to know the total number of how many emails are in your inbox. So this would be, I would think, the very top level, all inbox. Every email account that you have, every smart folder... Every filter, everything. What is that number that sits at the very top? So people want to know how behind I am, basically. That, that's what people want to know. I think people just want to hear an astronomical number. Yeah, people just want something huge, like I guess. Like 75,000. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I only have a, a, a rough estimate because I didn't count it up last time we were we were talking but I know that the number of emails that I had to deal with in some way, so yes, across all accounts and across all levels of my sorting, flagged emails, waiting for, all of the rest of this stuff, uh, that number was somewhere above 1,000 and below 2,000. I can't narrow it down more specifically than that. But when we spoke last time, that's uh, that's where we were. So whilst that isn't, it's a very large number, right? That is a very, mm. very large number. It's not mm. like 15,000 or whatever. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But I think, and correct me if I'm making an incorrect assumption, mm-hmm. I think that the problem is, isn't the number, it's the fact that that number probably never really changes. Like, it's always a 1,000 because as much email comes in as you can remove. 
Yeah, I mean that that number was or that number had been increasing over say the last 6 months. And I think listening to me talking last time on on the episode, the one thing that I I did not get across very well was one of the big reasons this was also occurring was me just spending less time on email. And so that's why I like I was spending less time clearing it out. And so that was also causing this backlog effect to occur. Yeah. I was doing much less frequently a thing that I used to do more often, which was say dedicate an entire day or two in a row to just clear out email and to get it down to nothing. I used to do that much more frequently and I was doing that much less frequently because as I was trying to say like, is that the best way to spend my time? Is that what people want me to do? And like, yes, there are problems in email. There are things that need to, to be solved, but all problems and benefits are relative. And so I was spending more time on making things and less time on email and, and, that's partly why the the backflow was was increasing. But I wanted to bring it up as a topic because obviously at a certain point it gets on your mind. Like email was now on my mind as this little burden that was always there in in the background. And so that's kind of why I was wanting to talk about it is because I like I can feel this as a problem now not because of anything that's like in the email, but all of the emails in aggregate together are like a psychological burden. Even if none of them in particular is a huge deal-breaking problem, which is why I can dedicate less time to them. Like none of them stop the business, but all of them together are just a psychological burden. So that's where I was last time we spoke. So where are you with email now? As of this morning, I am happy to report that I have zero emails in my inbox. Whoa, okay. <laughs> because it turns out if you make a podcast where you embarrassingly talk about how far behind on email you are, you have basically shamed yourself into having to actually clear all of this out. I just couldn't deal with it being there anymore. And... The fact that I'm traveling happens to have made this an excellent time to do this because all of my normal routines are thrown off kilter anyway. So on the airplanes, and I've been working here in North Carolina a little bit, I I, I was filled with a vengeance to get this back down at least... At least to just be able to slap the bottom of the empty floor for a split second before it starts filling back up again. That that was the goal because I was also thinking about if I want to try to change the way this works systematically, it's very hard to do that while still having a big backlog of stuff. It's It's easier to sit down and say, okay, I'm actually going to spend a serious amount of time dealing with this and then trying to build a new system from the ground up. And that's just, that's easier to do if I'm just focused on email. So uh, I haven't been writing scripts. I haven't been doing other stuff related to the business. I have basically dedicated my time to clearing out all of that stuff. And yes, just, uh, just a couple hours before we started recording, uh, I reached, I reached the bottom. So I'm quite relieved about that. That's amazing. 
Like, really, that is awesome that you did that. It's it's not amazing. It's just a matter of time. But, you know, just this is... Because here, here's the thing going through all of this. It makes... It, it was just again of realizing with email, yes, none of these are none of these are big problems, but they're all just little problems spread across a huge variety of domains, personal life and business life and all, all of these things. There's just a whole bunch of stuff to deal with in all of these different context switches. It just takes a lot of time. That that's all it is. It's not it's not hard. It's not like coal mining where it's difficult work all day long, or it's just time consuming. And this is where I, I feel conflicted about it. Cause like I mentioned, mentioned before. Okay. So I, I feel better cause I've relieved this mental email burden from myself, but like, is this really what the people who support my work want me doing with my time? No, they want me writing scripts. They want me making more videos. And this is the part of being self-employed and dealing with all this stuff that I just don't like. I hate spending time on this, this administrative stuff. But it does need to be done at some point, even if it's just because it's on your mind, not because it's necessarily a problem in and of itself. But I'm, I'm very much aware, like the most valuable work that I can do, the stuff that people like the best, is not me just replying to emails. It's me making podcasts and, and making videos. But anyway, that is done. And now I am attempting to figure out how to build a new system that will manage, that will last in the longer run. And so that's why the topic suggestion thing and filtering more emails to my personal assistant are the first two pieces of, of this, this bright new future with email. So, I mean, ideally now it's like trying to architect a system in which you then don't have to do what you just did again. That's exactly right. I w and also now I can have a better sense of what's happening yeah, like how many, like what's the, I can have a much better sense of, okay, what is the minimum amount of time that I need to dedicate to this to keep it at a steady state where I can get it to empty on a, you know, every other yeah. week basis or whatever it is. Now I have a much better sense going forward of what that's going to be because I'm working with a much more reasonable system. So that's, that's what I'm trying here. I guess my, my pro tip here is if you're very behind on email, Start a podcast and tell the whole world about how behind on email you are. That's the takeaway from this. <laughs> That's a really good takeaway. <laughs> yeah. Put yourself in a situation where you're really embarrassed. And yeah, there you go. <laughs> so I maintain uh, what I said earlier, that this, helped, this helps you, whether, whether you like to admit it or not. And it was help. <laughs> it was unwelcome help because it was embarrassment, but it was help nonetheless. <laughs> Yes, but nonetheless, I'm I'm at the bottom of my email now. Have you ever heard of the term and or considered email bankruptcy? Yes, I have. I've come across this, and I am I am philosophically opposed to email bankruptcy. Uh, for for listeners who may be unaware, that I think maybe the best way to describe email bankruptcy is it's just like bankruptcy in real life. You're you're so far in debt with, in this case, not money, but emails that need to be replied to, that the only way forward is to just say, I am dumping all of this and starting afresh. Uh, you know, the, like my, my email debt is being absolved by me declaring bankruptcy, and we're just going to move forward. And anything that's important will 
reappear at some point in the future. I know that if I did that, I would feel way worse about it. Because I, I would also feel like I hadn't really solved the problem. And I would feel like what I've what I've done is is swept a bunch of problems under the rug. That then it, then there's like a an uncertainty of did I sweep something away that I really needed to see that wouldn't have resurfaced at an appropriate time scale. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not saying that email bankruptcy is never acceptable, but it is not something that I would be comfortable dealing with. I would much rather do what I've done, which is take a bunch of time and say I'm doing nothing else except email and and get to the bottom of all of it and then feel like I have a genuine fresh start. Uh, the email bankruptcy feels a bit like stealing a fresh start in a somewhat illegitimate way to me. That's That's a bit of how it feels. I can see why people do it. Um, mm-hmm. But I can see why you wouldn't do it. So, the, I think the reason that I thought of this as well was like you were in a you, well, at least you seem to be in a situation in which the email that was in your inbox was never going to get answered. It was just going to continue to build, right? So mm-hmm. in that in that world, if that was what had, was going to occur, email bankruptcy makes sense because you're never going to get to those emails anyway. So stop giving yourself the anxiety of seeing that number. Um, like that that's I think where the idea comes from for many people but the reason that I can see that you've taken the route that you've taken and done what you've done is it doesn't gel with you because it's like well it's only just going to happen again because all I'm doing is taking a temporary measure like mm-hmm. there's absolutely zero reason why my email inbox would not get back to a thousand if all I'm doing is just every six months deleting everything right because there's no new system. It's it's the exact same system, but now you're just starting from zero again. I don't know where this comes from originally, but there's a little saying that your daily system is perfectly designed to get exactly the results that you're getting. And so if you think, you know, if it's almost a it's almost a definitional statement. But yes, it's like, oh, if if you are in a situation where you you are getting more emails than you are you are responding to, however you deal with email that is your system and it is producing those results like it is perfectly designed to produce those results and so yes declaring email bankruptcy is just going to get you the exact same thing later down the road i don't like the idea of just sweeping away these problems without actually facing them of of just saying i'm just going to push it all away and and hope it's hope it's fine hope i hear from people again when I need to on an appropriate time scale. And I mean, that, that does mean that I have, I have replied to in the past few days, some emails that were just embarrassingly late. And that's, that's a bit uncomfortable to do, but I still think I feel better about replying to something embarrassingly late than I feel about just sweeping it under the rug and not replying to it. If it is something that still needs a reply. Do you think that email has an expiration date? Here's a, here's a question for you, Mike. Did you ever ever find that when you're working with large groups of people that there there are definitely problems that just if you wait long enough they do go away on on their own. <laughs> right? There there are problems that just kind of like, well, if I don't handle this, it'll just get fixed by somebody else or it will just become irrelevant. Do you know what I'm talking about? Great, you have uncovered my top tip for working in a corporate environment. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, yes? As part of my job, uh, I did a few different things. So my old life, uh, the most recent job that I had, I worked in a bank uh, doing marketing. And I mentioned this last time, email marketing was part of my mm-hmm. job. I did uh, like DM marketing, so that's uh, direct mail. So this is like mm-hmm. the stuff that you receive for the letterbox. And also email marketing as well. So we would email our, it was all existing customer stuff. So we would send emails to people promoting our products and that kind of thing. Uh, that was one of my jobs. One of my other roles was also a bit of like um, admin and systems processing for a different part of the business. It was I had a really mm-hmm. weird job in that I did this creative part of marketing, but then also managing this like other marketing department. It was kind of strange, um, but it was a mm-hmm. job that I did. I would get sent emails for things that nobody knew how to do. So they sent it to me because they expected that I was the person that would have to do it. You know, like Mm -hmm. nobody else knows how to do this. It has to get done. So let's just send it to the guy that it's going to affect the most if it doesn't get done. Right. Right. So they would send it to me. Now, a lot of those things, I would read them and be like, I don't know how to do this. I don't want to have to learn. So what I'm going to do is delete this email. (laughs) And if it comes back in a few weeks, then maybe I'll look at it. But if it doesn't come back, it was never that important in the first place. And that saved me so much time because I would just delete things. And then if people say, like, why didn't you do this? I'd just be like, I haven't gotten around to it yet. Like, that was always Mm -hmm. my answer, which is like, or I haven't seen this. Uh, uh, And then I would deal with it. But more often than not, these things would just never come back because... The executive who asked for it moved on and didn't care anymore. <laughs> like, you know, because all of these things in these big corporate environments are just stemmed by somebody in the management team asked a question. And now right. everybody thinks there needs to be an answer to this question when really they were just asking the question. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I very, very frequently would do this. And or if there was an email in my inbox or in a folder or something that, I believed needed to be dealt with and it was already like three or four weeks past the time that it was sent and I had no chaser email gone Mm -hmm. just gone (laughs) it's like people used to say to me like like how do you get all the work done that you do and also leave at 5 p.m like I was the only person in my team that came in at nine and left at five and they're like how do you stay Mm -hmm. on top of things and it was basically because I don't allow myself to get bogged down in things that I think are dumb Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. was that was how I survived uh, my old job, <laughs> uh, just deleting a bunch of stuff, basically. <laughs> so part part of your system was first contact to Mike always ha- had to happen twice, or it didn't count. Pretty much, if it was a, <laughs> that's the way that sounds. If it was a thing that was like no one knows how to do this, can you do this? And you can pretty much assume that it got deleted initially. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't do that anymore uh, mm-hmm. because every deleted email like that affects my business. You know. Yeah, well, that, that's that's what I was going to say. Is that this? We are now in very different situations. But I was sitting here. I'm trying to remember what it was. But at some point in my teaching career, I had a similar realization of a lot of these requests I can just ignore, and I'll never hear about them ever again. Now that's not so much the case because people are contacting us directly because of of a thing that we do. But in groups, there seems to be this thing where where you just get many more requests where it's clear that something popped into somebody's mind for a mere minute long enough to write you an email and then they they almost don't care about it the instant they're done writing the email and you learn to recognize those those kinds of requests 
The only thing that's coming to my mind was a thing that I never did but received a bunch of requests for was I'd get emails about how I was supposed to contact a parent about something related to their child. And it wasn't the parent reaching out to me. It was an administrator telling me that I should reach out to a parent about X. And I always thought, well, the parent hasn't approached me. I don't really know how much they care about this topic. This just seems like something an administrator wants me to do. And so I'll just, I'll just never do this unless I hear about it again. And in my entire career teaching, I never once called a parent, even though I, I received many requests from administrators <laughs> to call parents. And I never heard about it ever. I, I, I honestly think this was one of those things where it just popped into somebody's head. Oh, you know, you should call Susie's mom about whatever. I'm like, okay, you know, didn't do that. It, ne- it never happened, never mattered. And I could have been spending an hour on the phone, you know, several times a week calling to parents to talk about, you know, their precious darling and why they aren't performing perfectly in every possible way. Uh, so, yeah, but I, wish, I wish I could remember more, but that was, that's the one that's clearly jumping into my head of like, if I just ignore this, it goes away and clearly nobody cares. Not the parent, not the student, not the administrator. It's just, a, it's just an email that has appeared because these things do. And mine would be a lot of like um, this... Uh, item of literature is out of stock. The last time it was ordered was six years ago. The company that makes this item doesn't exist anymore. We need mm-hmm. more of them. And right. I'd be like, nope! <laughs> I'm not doing it! Because that sounds horrible! <laughs> yes. Oh, actually, I do have a follow-up question for you. Something from last show. That uh, you mentioned offhandedly that part of your job was to send emails to millions of people. And we never followed up on this. Yeah. Tell me about this. That was it, like the marketing stuff. Like I would be in charge of creating marketing campaigns that were sent out to the the millions and millions of people in the customer base. So that's what you were doing. You were sending those those emails that I don't read from my bank about something being updated or some special promotion. That was you. I actually think that it literally was me. I didn't know it was you at the time, but it literally was you. It was me. So, you know, that first email, maybe that wasn't the first email <laughs> that you got from me because you were getting yeah. stuff that, that I was bugging you with. <laughs> the most frequent question that came through after last week's episode was mm-hmm. about having like segmenting email accounts, basically. So having secret email addresses for family and friends, Using aliases, so like saying that, I don't know, CGP plus spam at grey.com or that kind of thing, right? Using little aliases uh, or just having multiple email accounts to deal with certain things so you could more easily filter stuff and just more easily get what you wanted. Uh, Do you have a system in place like this? Do you do anything like this? I I have seen a lot of advice on email about doing this exact kind of thing have multiple email addresses for different kinds of contact that you are going to receive. And in my experience, this just doesn't work. It doesn't work because ultimately I have to open up the email client on whatever device I'm using. So I'm opening up mail on my Mac. And even if I've segmented different emails. Oh, I have one email address for my family and I have one email address for business and I have one email address as a public contact form. It's all going to the same program that I open 
at the same time anyway. So it's, you can't help but see everything that is there. When I have occasionally tried to do that, have different email addresses, I've always just found that it seems like it is mentally more work than simply having it all in the same place. And I do have dozens of email addresses I think I've collected over the years. And all of them are doing this crazy forwarding chain where as I have a, I've created new ones and eventually abandoned them, I set them to forward to what is the more current email address. So it all filters back to the same place now. But I think people who've known me for a very long time, if they send me one of my older send me a message to one of my older email addresses, it probably goes through three or four email addresses that all each say, oh, forward to this one now, oh, forward to this one now, before it ends up at what is my current email address. So I don't know. I, I guess the way to put it is it feels more it feels more honest and it feels more easy to manage to just have it all end up in one account. And then to try and use smart filters or rules on that one account. That just feels way more straightforward than trying to manage a bunch of accounts and then also manage rules maybe on those or smart filters. It just doesn't, it seems like duplicate. It seems like duplicate work. And plus, I know people who have secret contact email addresses that you're supposed to use to get in touch with them. But then this also becomes a problem of now you have a secret to keep. Or now you have to remember which email address you're supposed to use to get in touch with that person. It also, like, it puts a burden of of effort on everyone else who is contacting you in some way. So I, it it's almost like a like an a it's almost like an security through obscurity measure to have secret email addresses. Well, they're eventually they're eventually going to be not secret. They're eventually going to spread out, and then you just have to do the whole thing over again. So that that's why I'm much more focused on trying to have a system that just works for all of my email. And I don't, I don't find segmenting that stuff works very well. But I mean, I know you have a few email addresses. Do you segment it? Like, do you find this useful to do? Or do you have it all go to one place as well? It all goes to one place because... So you do the same as me then? Yeah. Although I don't really yet have many filters in place. I The only filters I have is for stuff to go immediately to archive like which tends Mm -hmm. to be notifications of things so like for example i want them there in case i need to search for them but i don't ever want to see them exactly exactly yeah i have a ton of stuff that does that as well so like my thing is my my reason that i don't have this and i i can totally see why it works for some people but my main problem with email is the psychological burden that it places on me right so seeing Mm. the number this mm-hmm. doesn't fix that because I would still be adding all of those email accounts to the same email app. Right. Be- so there, I'm always going to see, even if I just go into one inbox, I'm still going to see that number on the big inbox, which is exactly the same as the problem that I have now. And you know, then you could start getting really crazy with it and being like, right, so I use mail.app for this email account and, and that, that's just never going to work for me because then right. it's like, well, now I have to have six email apps open and it's just, that's a nightmare. Like, so I can totally see why some people do it. But You are perfectly right that the only way this is practical is if you are also willing to use multiple email applications. And that is a bridge that I am simply not willing to cross. As it is, I use two things for email. And that's, that's already more than I really want to. And um, the only reason that I use two is because on iOS, I have drafts set up. 
as a kind of faux email account that allows me to send a message to someone without having to open up and look at my own email account. And uh, I do the same thing on the Mac with uh, AirMail, it's called, which I have set up as a like an outgoing only email account. So I don't have to open up, like look at the look at all the stuff that has come into me if I was just I want to send an email to someone. That's as close as I'm willing to get to actually using multiple email accounts or multiple email apps. And really, that's just like using 1.1 email apps. So yes, I'm, I'm not willing to have multiple ones. And that's the only way I think that having multiple email addresses is helpful in a segmenting way, in the same way that Slack is segmented for our communication. You need to have a whole other app and I just rather would deal with email all in one place in a consistent way. This episode of Cortex is brought to you by Squarespace. You can start building your website today at squarespace.com and use the offer code Cortex at checkout to get yourself 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. If you haven't heard of Squarespace yet, you really need to know all about them, especially if you want a website of your own on the internet because Squarespace is the place to do it. Maybe you already have a website somewhere else or you're doing something on your own and you're unhappy with it. It frustrates you. You need support. You can't get it. You you hate the tools that you have to use all the time. Well, this is what Squarespace can help you do. They have absolutely fantastic tools. They have 24-7 support. They have people located all around the world in New York, Dublin and Portland who are there on hand to help you with any questions or comments or concerns that you may have. There is nowhere better than Squarespace for building a website. They give you all of the power that you need and take away the things that you don't want to have to worry about. They can give you a site that's going to look professionally designed regardless of your skill level or regardless of how much time you want to have to invest in it. You don't have to sink hours and weeks and months into getting a Squarespace site up and running and looking fantastic. They have intuitive, easy-to-use tools. They have absolutely beautiful templates that all feature responsive designs so they look great on devices of all sizes. And they use state-of-the-art technology to power your site and also ensure security and stability. Squarespace is trusted by millions of people around the world and once you give them a try you'll see why they also have a commerce platform that allows you to build stores into your squarespace site we use it a relay to sell some merchandise that we have um, and we wouldn't use anybody else because Squarespace's tools are just so fantastic. They have rock-solid fast hosting. They have their cover page functionality to build single-page websites. They have everything you're going to need. If you sign up for a year with a Squarespace plan, you'll also get yourself a free domain name so you can call your site whatever you want. And believe it or not, Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month. You can sign up for a free trial right now with no credit card required and start playing around and building your website today by going to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure that you use the offer code Cortex. It's going to get you 10% off your first purchase and it will really help out the show. Thanks so much to Squarespace for their support of this show and help at all of Relay FM. Squarespace, build it beautiful. I think we briefly touched on this in a previous episode that you tend to use mail.app for your uh, iOS and, and OS X majority of email processing stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, essentially all of it. Is that purely because of utility or is it you're just stuck, like you're, you know how to use it, you're stuck in its ways kind of thing? You've used it forever. I am in the minority here of I, for the most part, like the way that it looks. Like I, I've tried to use Gmail stuff and personally I find it hideous. I, I know that there are people who are all in on using Gmail for email and I don't like using their web interface I I have no, it's just, 
it does not work with the way I think about email for whatever reason. And I also just think it is ugly. Whereas I, I like the fact that mail is relatively clean. Like there's, And this is why I especially like doing mail on my iPad or on the iPhone is, is like, okay, it's very clean. Like you're just looking at the message. There's not a whole bunch of stuff all over the place. And you're just looking at one at a time. I really like that. Uh, whereas Gmail has just always felt really, really messy to me. So that's that's why I I, I use these. I, I actually do like them. I feel like I'm the only person who likes mail. There are obviously there are things that frustrate me about it. Um, although on my Mac, I I definitely love. Uh, there's a plugin for Mail which is called Mail Acton, which I would be very sad if it didn't work anymore. But it does allow me to assign just some keystrokes that will automatically do things to a message. So I have it set up so that if I press uh, control A while I'm looking at a message, it will archive that message, but it'll also make sure to clear any flags that are on that message or and to make sure that the message is unread because sometimes I'll actually archive something uh, so quickly that it doesn't pass the like three second timer of... <laughs> Yes, this is an unread message. <laughs> so I just I just want to make sure that like if some, something loads and I immediately go like, nope, boom, in the archive. I don't want the archive to be cluttered up with random messages that are still marked as unread. So that, that, is, a, that is a handy little thing that I use. The fastest archiver in the West. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't even have the time to recognize it's been read. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so that's a uh, mail act on. Uh, big fan of that. I, I quite like that on the Mac. So you said you don't like Gmail. Do you use Gmail for your web email hosting? Or do you use something completely different? I used Gmail for years. And then I want to say it was maybe six months or a year ago now. I'm terrible with relative times. But somewhere in that that boundary, I, I had what was a disastrous problem with gmail and mail talking to each other which apple and gmail have never really played well together there have always been minor uh, problems i remember this yes yeah there was and an update to os 10 that basically meant they could you just couldn't use gmail and mail anymore <laughs> that was why a lot of people don't use mail and that's why i stopped using mail was because it, i couldn't get my email anymore so it was like well <laughs> i'm just gonna go elsewhere <laughs> Yeah, if you're using mail, I can't wholeheartedly recommend using Gmail with it. But uh, it wasn't, I didn't run into that problem where you couldn't access it. I ran into a problem where, and my feeling is, I don't care whose fault this is. I don't care if it was Apple's fault. I don't care if it was Gmail's fault. I just ran into this problem where, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. But but basically, I had a, a big number of flagged messages in my Gmail system that I needed to reply to. And at at some point, all of those flags got lost. And the way Gmail works is that you just have all of the messages in one giant archive, and it kind of smart pulls out the ones that are flagged, so you can just see them. The flagged ones aren't in an actual separate folder that you can just go and look. And so if you lose the flags... You, those messages are just lost among the tens and tens of thousands of emails that are in your whole archive. You're never going to find them again. And so I, I had a big chunk of flag messages to reply to. I lost all of those flags. And that, that was my, you know what? The way Gmail works with it's funny, it is IMAP, but it isn't really IMAP. I'm like, I'm done with this. I want to have a system where 
it's folders and I know that I am putting messages in those folders and they're just they're just there. I don't want any of this fancy Gmail stuff that I don't even use anyway. So I switched over and I'm now using Fastmail as the back end to my actual email. That that is what is happening behind the scenes. Is I is I pay Fastmail now to um, provide the service, which is just a standard IMAP client. So that's what I'm currently using, and I'm very very happy with it. I'm very happy with it. And we when we started Relay, we started off with Fastmail, mm-hmm. um, but we for some reason something went awry, and uh, we got a, a we somehow ended up getting like a ton of spam. Um, and it was somehow not passing through the spam filters very well. Something went wrong somewhere. Uh, but what was happening was people then started to email me, uh, like potential sponsors, which was very early in the company, and the emails were bouncing. Mm-hmm. And I and I basically said to Stephen, "We need to to change this right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like this needs to be fixed." I will not allow this to happen again. And then we moved to Gmail and we have Google Apps for, for mm-hmm. us. Um, and that also allowed me to, because I, I wanted to be able to try all of the fancy email apps that integrate with Gmail, like Mailbox. Right, of course. Uh, and I couldn't use those if I you know, was using uh, like a third-party IMAP provider or something like that. So we use G- uh, Google Apps and I use Mailbox as my, my email app of choice. I'm just going to say for anybody who does use Fastmail, I ran into the same thing straight away of, boy, I seem to be getting a lot of spam and this is this is weird. Fastmail has some very bizarre default settings for how it handles spam. And I, I almost want to reach out to the people at Fastmail and go like, you know, if you change the defaults for the way you handle this, it'd be much better. But there is a way in the settings if you do use Fastmail to tell it, here, Fastmail, look at my archive of messages, and those messages, learn them as not spam. And for some reason, I don't know why it does that. It, it, uh, it's just trying to evaluate spam in the abstract against the whole internet, I guess. Whereas it's, it's, it's not like Gmail does by default, looking at your messages and trying to learn, okay, what kind of messages are sent to this person. So if you sign up with Fastmail, make sure to go into the settings and tell it like, yes, please look at my archive of messages and learn what is and is not spam to me. And ever since I did that, I haven't had any problems. But yes, the, de- the default setup is a bit is a bit weird. You do get a lot of a lot of spam. So I think they need they need to uh, they need to work on that. But otherwise, I'm I'm uh, I'm quite happy with it. On your phone and on your iPad, I assume you obviously use Mail app, but then you also mentioned having drafts as like this send-only email account. Um, mm-hmm. How did this come to be? I just know I wanted to solve that problem of I have thought of a thing and I want to send a message to somebody, but I don't want to open up my email and get distracted by things that are in there. I realized, oh, if I set up a separate email address, which is basically a, a you know my email address uh, dot mobile right that i can send messages from there but then the dot mobile address its rule is to forward everything to my real address so if i send somebody an email from my dot mobile one they can reply to it and it will go to my real out uh, my real email address it won't go back to the mobile one so that way the mobile email address is always 
clear. Like there's nothing that's in there because it sends outgoing messages and it redirects everything that is coming in. So I, I just find that very useful for, oh, great. I want to send a message and I don't want to get distracted by all of my email. Do you have this configured in any different way on your iPad? Like your iPad definitely seems to be for you like a dream email device, right? It's the one that I use the most. I, I wouldn't say that it's a dream email device because all email is ultimately a nightmare. But <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I find that it is, the, it is the one where it is the least stressful way to deal with email. That's, that's the way I would describe it. It's the cleanest and it's the simplest way of dealing with email. But it is not always the most convenient because sometimes in emails you'll need to attach something or I'll need to look something up. And then on the iPad, that can become kind of a pain in the butt. But all things being equal, I would rather do email on my iPad. Have you ever tried anything like Google Inbox or Mailbox? Basically something that can categorize email on your behalf. Mm-hmm. Have you ever tried any of these services? Because I have so many email addresses, many of them are Gmail addresses. And so, yes, I have tried playing around with all of the various plugs into Gmail different services. And I think those things are a lot like to-do apps. You know, if, if you look on the App Store, there are a bazillion different to-do apps. And you have to find a to-do app that just fits with your mind very well and there are just people think about their to-dos in very different ways where one app is good for someone and it's just a ter- it's just a terrible fit for somebody else i think a lot of these gmail apps like inbox or like mailbox if they happen to line up with the way you think about email then they're amazing but if they don't fit the shape of your mind then they are terrible and so some of the features in mailbox about you can press a button and say, oh, like boomerang this back to me in a week. I don't want to see this now, but but make it look as though this message just got sent to me anew in a week. Something about that just does not fit my mind at all. And inbox on the other on the other end of that, I feel like inbox is trying to do too many things automatically. And I just I don't like that as well. But for for the right people, uh, the impression that I get is those different services are just amazing if it matches up with your mind in the same way that if you find a to-do manager that matches with your mind, you feel like, oh, thank God, this is exactly what I'm looking for. So that, that's that's kind of my thought on those things. I'm not really very comfortable with an app that tries to make decisions on my behalf. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's how I feel with Inbox is it's like, it's doing too much, like it's categorizing things and moving things around and putting things in this hidden folder. And I don't really like that. But I am like the exact opposite in you and that my favorite feature of Mailbox is the idea that I can take an email and say, show me this in a week. Right. Um, and that's because I, I really hate to see email in my inbox. Like I like mm-hmm. to be able to clear it because it makes my mind feel a bit clearer. If when I go to my email app that there's not like a hundred things in there and there's some things where it's just like, well, there is something in here that I need to do. Like this person says, you know, email me about this in July. Well, Mm -hmm. I can then just set a thing which just says on July 1st, bring this email back. Um, And that really works for me. Uh, And also as like just a way of like, just get rid of this today because I'm not going to deal with this today. Um, I I don't want to keep seeing it today. 
show me it later and I'll deal with it later. And, and I quite like that. That that works quite nicely for me. And that is an element of which, you know, a lot of people really, really don't like of using your email as like a task list. Uh, mm-hmm. But quite frequently, my email inbox is a task list. Um, and I also Yeah, there's, use, there's no way around that. Yeah. So I, whilst I use uh, OmniFocus like to try and navigate my to-dos and things like that, there is still stuff in my email inbox which are tasks that need to be completed. So sometimes it's just easier for me to just be like, okay, I will treat this as a task. I will come back to it later. Like Mailbox does have more stuff like allowing you to create lists and things like that with the email. I'm like, nope, not doing that. But I also quite like the fact that you can uh, reorder email as well. So you mm-hmm. can just bring that one down, bring that one up. And that works quite nicely for me. So I like Mailbox for that. I always feel like email is its own separate universe when it comes to all kinds of problems that are related to getting things done and organizing your life and task management i've, I've just always felt like email is is a as a completely separate thing from that that needs to be dealt with in its own way and so um i've discussed before like i i've used a you know broadly getting things done kind of system but i've always ended up partially recreating that within email because it's it's just so self-contained and also so big that when you mentioned like, oh, send this email back to me in a month, my version of doing that is I have a folder called waiting for that any of those, oh, I need to reply to this, but not in any uh, immediate time frame. I put those messages in there and then I just have a, I have a list of them because it's, it's too much overhead to then go into my regular task management program and say, oh, create a task to reply to this. Because then in the like future me is then going to need to search for that email. Like, you, you need some way to manage all of this, this stuff. It's just, it's such a big, it's such a big thing. But yeah, so my, my version of that is just have a folder. And I prefer to see all of those things there. Whereas with something like Mailbox, I, I always have this feeling of, well, how many emails have I boomeranged to myself? When are they going to come back? I don't know. You can see it. Oh, yeah? Do they have a list? Yeah, there's a little button you just press. It. The way that their app is is navigated, they have uh, three buttons along the very top. They have a clock, uh, an email of an in-tray, and then a tick. And then the clock is the snoozed email. Then the one in the middle of the in-tray is your inbox. And then they have the little tick, which is the stuff that you've archived. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I missed that. That's better. My issue with what you're doing is, like, how do you know when any of those emails need to be actioned on? They just sit in this little list, and it's like you'd have to go into them all to find out when you're supposed to work on them. Yeah, that's, that's, that is definitely the problem. And so I do have a, you know, a note to review that every once in a while. But you're, the way of mailbox boomeranging something back to you is much more precise presuming that you check your email frequently you check it every day which was definitely not the situation that i was in yeah but yeah so but so this is what i mean it's it's like we're doing similar things in slightly different ways and that's why it just if the app fits your mind it's great yeah and so that's why I'm not, I'm not against those things but i just haven't found one that that fits my mind and that's why it's so difficult to suggest to somebody to use like a different email app because if mm-hmm. it just doesn't gel with your way of thinking, then it's just never going to. Yeah. Potentially, we have reached the end of talking about email. Oh, thank God. I was just about to ask. Like, please let this be over. We, we must be done talking about email. I think, I think we're done. I'm not going to say we're done forever, but we're at least done for now. We're done forever. 
We're done for now. Uh, so I wanted we were talking about your iPad a moment ago, mm-hmm. uh, and I noticed that uh, on Twitter you were talking about some of the new iOS nine features. So I assume you've installed the public beta on your iPad. Yes, uh, we discussed on one of the earlier episodes that I was going to wait for the public beta, and it came out, I don't know, what was it, a week ago, two weeks ago now? Yeah, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I immediately installed it on my iPad because I wanted to check things out, and I'm really liking it so far. I'm really liking it. It definitely feels like this is is the iPad-focused iOS update, and since I'm a very heavy iPad user, I am pretty happy with, with that. Have you installed it on all of your iPads? (laughs) no mike i have not installed it on all of my ipads okay so the thing is right (laughs) about that question is i know that it sounds like i am poking fun at you and there is a very small (laughs) element of that but i'm surprised to hear that you haven't done it because now like they are not the same like your 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 ipads now have different functionality well partly uh I, i put it on my ipad air 2 and that is because I wanted to be able to test the features that are most interesting ah. to me, which is to be able to do the app side by side. So you only have one iPad Air 2 then? Yes, I only have one iPad Air 2. Look, guy, you can't, like, <laughs> you know, talk about me as being the crazy one here. It's impossible for me to know uh, because you have so many of them. I only I only have one of each kind that I have. I don't have multiples of the same kind. That okay. is a bridge too far. Okay. But yeah, so I just have I just have the one iPad Air 2. I installed the public beta on that. And I also knew that this was a good time to do it because I was going to be traveling shortly. And I only bring one iPad with me when I travel, Mike. Oof. So I was going to bring the iPad Air 2. And so I thought, oh, this, this is a good time because then I won't be switching back and forth between devices and get frustrated with things. And I can just, I can just try it out. So that's, that's what I have been doing. That's my situation. Does that answer what you wanted to know about which iPads? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you're good with that. Although I am surprised <laughs> that you don't have one in the case and one in your carry-on in case something gets lost. But Oh, no, no. I haven't just made you do that, have I? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I haven't. No, I haven't done that. Okay. I haven't done that. That's, that's Yet. the redundancy too far. Um, so the app, like the, the multitasking features, like being able to have two apps open at a time, um, mm-hmm. I assume that you're probably getting some use out of this because you you use a few of Apple's official apps, right? Because at the moment, as we are where we are today, the only apps that this works with are Apple's inbuilt applications, where later on, third parties will be able to integrate this functionality and you'll be able to use like OmniFocus and Fantastical side-by-side, yes. for example. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the third-party ones using it. Yep. And I, I wanted to play with it because it's just... Di- it's just different handling something than thinking about it in a conceptual way to be able like to be able to play with it in person and say oh okay this is how it feels when you snap two apps together this is what the size looks like right in front of my face you get a much better sense of it than watching craig federici do a demo of it and Mm -hmm. then you think oh i wonder how it's also useful to to understand the limitations of how it really works like when you see a demo it's very easy for your brain to fill in a lot of details yeah that then you later on realize like, oh, it doesn't quite work like that. Or, oh, I just, I made this assumption. So I wanted to play with it just to get a much clearer sense sooner about how potentially useful it can be. And my answer is is very, although because I use a lot of third-party apps, what I can actually do with it right now is quite limited. But the few times something has come up, I've thought, oh, this is just 
great. So if I'm, say, looking at something on a, on a web page, but I'm also busy instant messaging with someone, man, is it a relief to just have both of those on the screen instead of having to constantly like flip back and forth to reply to the person. I can just have the ongoing conversation and keep doing what I'm doing. Like that is, that is great, even just with the, the built-in apps. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that. But by far and away, my favorite feature is that the alt tab switcher is on the iPad. This is just glorious to me. <laughs> I, like ever since I connected a keyboard to an iPad for the first time, I have I just constantly hit alt tab to switch between things and it does nothing and it's always been infuriating that it's not there on the iPad. And this works now and I feel like oh god, such a relief because I'm a very, very heavy keyboard user. I try to use a mouse, uh, you know, the the least amount possible. And so, yes, on my regular computer, I'm always just alt-tabbing between stuff. I never use the mouse to switch applications. And so I am hugely happy that it's on the iPad. I would would upgrade to iOS 9 immediately, and they could charge 20 bucks for that upgrade if it only had the alt-tab switcher. I'd be like, yes, Tim Cook, take my money. 20 bucks just for the alt tab switcher nothing else great this is the best ios update ever so that and the like the, the alt tabbing and the uh like the having apps side by side i think that they're mm-hmm. they're definitely like you mentioned before like it makes things feel faster on the ipad like you're not like going from app to app to app to app like you, oh you're, yeah and one of the things that i've noticed as well and i'm wondering if you've if you've noticed this you know when you would click to go like you click a link and it would open another application and it mm-hmm. would do that thing where it was like the app went away and like span around and here comes the next yeah. one they have now replaced this with just the app slides in from the side and it makes I love that. It makes it I feel so that. much faster. And I just want to point out before we carry on, this is how it works on Android. That is the animation before people mention that. And also mm-hmm. like the fact that there is this persistent back button now is also mm-hmm. like a, a thing that's in Android. So they are good things that have come from Android to iOS. But it definitely helps because it doesn't feel like let me just wait for you, iPad, for a moment while you spin some apps around. Mm-hmm. Especially with some of the things like that we both use, like Launch Center Pro, which are basically there to open up other applications sometimes. Yeah. You feel like you're waiting for, for weeks whilst apps are spinning round and round and round. Yeah, this, this is a case where I bet that the slide over thing, it might not actually be any faster or just insignificantly faster than the swap around application. But it just, it feels so yeah. much faster than watching them go like, oh, here, whoop, you know, the one yeah. in the front goes to the back and the one in the back comes to the front. You know, maybe it's a tenth of a second or two tenths of a second actually faster, but something about that animation just feels so much faster. And it's a good, uh, it's just a good user interface design. And and if they took that from Android, great, <laughs> that, is, that is really nice. Uh, it is much, much improved. And as I also agree that the labeled back button at the top is very nice. So when you go into a different app at the at the top left of the screen, it'll say, like, click to return to Safari if, if Safari is where you were last. That is also very nice. It definitely feels like moving around and switching between applications is vastly, vastly improved. Have you uh, ha- tried the picture-in-picture video at all? 
I, I just played around with it, but no, I, I haven't done that. It mainly because I don't tend to watch video very much on my iPad. Uh, so I, I haven't had a chance to really play with that in person. I just wanted to see that it worked and I was showing it off to my wife and then she, she her opinion was, Oh, this is the greatest thing ever. This moving mm-hmm. around video picture in picture thing, but uh, I haven't used it much myself. I love it. I really, <laughs> yeah. really love it. Yeah. But you can only use it with the videos app now, right? Or is there any? And Safari. Oh, uh, okay. Hmm. Interesting. So it's just, it's fantastic. Like, so I can be, there might be like, say like there's like a YouTube video or something that I want to watch, but I'm not like, I don't need to be like super engrossed in it. Um, like, a, like a Let's Play. <laughs> uh, right. And so, yeah, something long that you want in the background that is also primarily audio content. Yeah. Or that just, you know, doesn't require a ton of attention or maybe. And, and so then I can have that video playing and be reading Twitter at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm-hmm. that is great. Or uh, mm-hmm. one other thing that I've been able to do is to be able to take notes on a video, which I do a lot right. for like research right. and stuff. And it's like, this is just fantastic for that. Um, because it it still enables you to have the focus that an iPad gives you because you can only see the video on the one application. Um, mm-hmm. And so it still allows me anyway to feel like I'm really focused on it rather than using it on my laptop, which is like buzzing and binging and throwing things all over the place. Um, so mm-hmm. I really, really like that feature. And then I guess the last one that I think is good for for you i love it too is the transit stuff the transit maps yeah because i haven't been in london i haven't had a chance to use this directly but i did look at it and i thought oh wow it's nice to see that for the major train stations they have the exact entrances and exits labeled that makes a huge difference because i mean some of the stations like like you go to uh you go to king's cross st pancras in london i mean that's just a like a massive two train stations interconnected with each other big big problem and when a map would show it as a single dot it was just a lie if you were yeah. going to that single dot you might be 20 40 minutes, minutes away, away. <laughs> yeah from wherever you're trying to get a thousand minutes away from wherever you're trying to go so i think i think that's a that's a really big deal and it's i was just looking at the train stations that i know well and thinking yes like they got they got this exactly right and some of the tricky little details about you know where where entrances are where you can walk it looks like they have it they have it really pat down. I'd be curious to know where they pulled that data from, but it looks it looks uh, very useful, especially for you know anybody getting around in a city that they're not familiar with. I genuinely think that that data comes from humans. Yeah, it has to. It has to. It's very limited. The transit maps are only in a handful of cities. Um, except in China, where it's in every single one of them, because apparently they they have all this data. Like it's really mm. easy to do transit mapping in China because they have one company that manages all of the data. Um, unlike some mm. other cities in the world, where you have to get it from a couple of different sources. But I think that a lot of this entrance and exit stuff, it, it, to me, feels like it only could be human collected because otherwise google would use it like if it just came from transport for london like one of the companies that holds this data and licenses like the timing and things like that of trains if they had this data then other people would have bought it and would be using it Mm, yeah i think you're i think you're right i think you're right apple might have just paid people to do it but this is something where i'm like i use google maps and i really like google maps because apple maps can be kind of wonky for me in certain scenarios Mm -hmm. But I'm looking at it now and I'm like, well, I'm probably at least in the meantime going to switch to 
to Apple Maps because I use it sometimes when I want directions on my watch because the integration with the mm-hmm. watch is really good. But now I'm like, that transit stuff, like that is fantastic. Um, mm. I, I really, really like their transit maps. So I'm, I only have um, iOS 9 on my iPad right now. I don't have it on mm-hmm. my phone. Um, but I'm thinking that that would be something that, that I would use a lot when I, when I put it on my phone. Yeah, I was not going to install the public beta on my phone, especially no. while traveling. It's just the, the phone is too vital. It doesn't, you know, I'm not going to, definitely not going to do that. Yeah. But on the iPad, it was it was fun to do and, and fun to play around with. So big thumbs up from me for the iOS 9 beta so far. I'm really liking it. iOS 9 is gray approved. Yes. All right. We're going to cut the show here, I think. We are indeed, sir. Right. Because we're not going to do questions. No. Because... You and I are actually going to record tomorrow mm-hmm. and do a whole bunch of questions yes. because of the traveling that I am doing. So in listener time, they will hear us in a week, but I am going to hear you in less than 24 hours. I'm so excited. It is a thing that is happening. 